Yo, everybody, welcome to the Ednian Podcast, where we have real conversations with the amazing talent in Denver's backyard to inform the system and change the game for the next generation. I hope you're thriving. Let's go. What's good, everybody? Hope everyone is doing well. Hope everyone is thriving. Thank you for tuning in. Switching up the intro here a little bit, just to make sure you got some context into the series. Um, as some of you may know, in November, there's an important election coming up in Denver. Uh, voters will be casting their ballots to see who will be representing our communities on the Denver Public Schools Board of Education. Uh, this year, there's three different seats open, uh, District 1, District 5, as well as an at-large seat. And as always, we're here to build spaces to have real authentic connection, real authentic conversation, understand these candidates' vision for the district, the vision for our communities, as well as who they are as people. Um, more than anything, we hope that this sparks some deeper questions for you as you think about who you're going to vote for. And most importantly, know that we are not endorsing any candidate. We've reached out to every single candidate and asked them all to come down and, and sit with us and share some game with us and share who they are. Um, so I do hope that this gives you a better sense um, and hopefully some more insight that you wouldn't typically get from candidates as they're on the campaign trail. Um, now, special, super uh, important announcement for us uh, is that support for this podcast series comes from the Denver Foundation. Now, through gifts of cash and stocks or more complex assets, the Denver Foundation helps generous donors get the most from their giving. Uh, more than anything, they you know, invest in our communities. They help people be able to invest in our communities. And we appreciate them for investing in our collective vision at Ednium. Uh, super excited. We're coming up, y'all. And uh, with nothing more to say, let's get this thing rolling. Peace. And we're live. Good morning, man. Good morning. How are you? Good. Good. I'm, uh, I'm excited. You're our, you're our first one to, to step up to this podcast thing. So I appreciate you coming through, man. Yeah, you're yeah. welcome. Sure. Uh, tell the world who we're talking to today. Uh, I'm Scott Balderman. I'm the current representative on the DPS Board of Education for Southeast Denver and running for re-election. Yeah. And you got elected 20... December of 19 is when I was sworn in, and we were dealing with COVID three months later. It's been a fast four years. Yeah, welcome, homie. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. <laughs> what made you What made you run in the first place? So this this journey began for me. I I, I have two kids in DPS schools now. They both go to their neighborhood school. Um, I they both started at Lincoln Elementary School. Uh, we've been involved with that community for about 10 years now. Mm -hmm. And in 2016, I was the PTA president at the kids' school mm -hmm. for, for two years. And that really, that was life-changing. It's one of my most favorite parts of my life is getting involved at that level at the, mm -hmm. at the school and building that community with, the, with all the different parents. In 2017, I started getting involved with the teacher pro-comp negotiations mm -hmm. and was Which it, is effectively teacher pay for teacher folks, pay. Yeah. yeah. In particular, it was around, uh, pay for performance mm -hmm. in particular on standardized testing. And that was a disagreement between the district and the teacher's union. But then as time went on and my involvement with that, I was then asked, I was recruited and encouraged to run for school board mm. in early 2019, right about the time the, the strike was kicking off. Mm. What, uh, did it take much convincing? It, it took a while. Yeah. I, I always say 
running, there's nothing in life that can prepare you to run for school board. <laughs> and you, any first time candidate will, will waffle back and forth of, I can do this. And then the next day you're like, oh, I can't. And, <laughs> but eventually you, you just realize, and, and what got me over the, what got me to finally decide to file and run is I, I thought if I don't do this mm-hmm. 20 years from now, I'll look back and, and be, be incredibly disappointed. So I thought I'd rather try and lose yeah. than not try at all. Yeah, no, I feel that. Walk me through like uh, before that, right? Like what was your life's journey? I think a lot of times we, we we see school board candidates, we see like one snapshot of kind of whatever we read in the newspaper or whatever. Right. Um, and really like, you know, something that's really one of our like foundational values at Adnium is like your story matters how you built your character, who, who, where you come from, all those things matter, um, especially in like roles where we're dealing with people, right, at the end of the day. Um, so really, really interested, just kind of where are you from? How'd you get here? What's, what's that story? What's that development? All right. So I grew up in Aurora okay. and went to Rangeview High School and graduated in 94 and then went to University of Nebraska to get my architecture degree. Mm. Ended up getting my master's in 2000. Okay. And ended up taking an alternate path. Mm. And I've, I've always been involved with advocacy work. And instead of going right into the architecture field, I moved to Washington, D.C. And I was the president of the American Institute of Architecture Students. Huh. And it's been a year in D.C., actually worked in the the American Institute of Architects building, which was across the street from the White House. Hmm. So so lived in That's D.C. Cool. for a full year, really enjoyed that. I, I ended up meeting my wife there. And so once my wife graduated for, with her degree in graphic design, I, Denver is always home for me. So we, we immediately moved here, and, yeah. and that was in 2002 that we were hmm. here. Okay. Now, people say, I know, I think you're the only one I've heard from, like people talk about how like you were able to self-fund your, the campaign. And uh, this seems to be like the funding process for the campaign. I don't want to get too much into that. What I'm mostly interested in is like, it's a big commitment to say, I'm going to put up my own money to go to go do this. Like, was the PTA, that's fine, the PTA, the folks that encouraged you, like what else was driving you to make that type of a leap? Like, what, what was it that convinced you to make that type of a leap? I'm an entrepreneur at heart. Yeah. And, you know, I, I did spend approximately five years in the architecture field, I did get licensed. And then that evolved into starting a software company. Hmm. So even after getting licensed, all that work, yeah. I felt, I, I just felt like there was more. Yeah. And so I left the field, started a software company that was related to architecture, and then eventually sold that company in 2006. Huh. And started, I, I started another small company that I'm still running today. It's, it's not meant to grow at the scale of my previous company, but... Hmm. Just that entrepreneurial spirit of seeing a problem mm-hmm. and and jumping in with both feet. Yeah. It's very I, I I have a hard time walking away <laughs> from problems. Yeah. And when I and when I was doing the PTA work and the teachers asked me to start showing support for our teachers and the pro comp negotiations with the district, yeah. I started attending those meetings. And even though first meeting I went to, I had no idea what I was, was experiencing. I, I started doing research and I wanted to understand what was going on because it was so eye opening to mm-hmm. me to see union negotiations. Yeah. And I, I just got addicted to it. Did you and, ever have to deal with any of that? Like as an entrepreneur, like from a union standpoint, labor, like, 
I'm always curious because I, I don't know. In a lot of ways, I relate, right? Like I see a problem, I want to solve it. Hence, Ednium's existence, right? I don't think it's gonna make me no big bucks, but you know, we're we're here. But like, have you? I'm interested in like your role and your time as an entrepreneur in building organizations and building companies. Like, what parallels are you seeing that to like your time on the board or the district as a whole? Like, how is that informing your thinking? Right. So when I came on the board, it took me about a year to recognize that DPS was incredibly inefficient hmm. as a as a body. Yeah. And even though we're a government agency, in many ways we function like a corporation where you have a board, you have a CEO, which is our superintendent, you mm -hmm. have all of the employees underneath the CEO, and then the board really should be focusing on vision and outcomes for students. And really that's that's the sole purpose and yeah. holding that superintendent accountable for achieving those outcomes for the kids that we've defined. Mm -hmm. None of that existed when I came on the board. We had no bylaws. The really? Yeah, and there's, there's no bylaws. We have bylaws now. Hmm. When we implemented policy governance, we now have GP1 through 15. Yep. That None of that existed. And the Denver 2020 plan expired. Hmm. So... Which now looking we don't back, have a strategic direction is what that 2020 right, plan was. Yeah, yeah and yeah. and looking back, the Denver 2020 plan was I I think a great document, hmm. but we should have never been in a position where a board comes on and the vision expires. I mean, these hmm. things for a billion dollar organizations take a long time to create. Yeah, I mean we we took most of 2021 implementing policy governance with our new six ends policies, which serve as that vision. Mm -hmm. That took 11 months hmm. to yeah. do. Yeah, I mean, sure, so, it took us like six to eight months to write our strategic plan. We're a small little right. nonprofit, so it does take time. It takes yeah. time, and we brought out, brought in Colorado Association of School Boards to help with that process. Brought in experts. Yeah. So even though. I didn't have the direct skill sets of bringing in policy governance. I knew that we needed a framework. I did a ton of research uh, when super, Superintendent Cordova resigned. Mm -hmm. I thought this is there's something something is not our execution is off mm -hmm. and the district is not heading in the right direction. So I did a ton of research on policy governance. John it was written by John Carver about 20 years ago. And that's a good example of like see, identifying the problem. And then I really put a lot of energy into understanding how do we get back on track. Mm -hmm. And that's when I realized that, boy, we, we don't have a framework in place to function. We don't have lanes defined mm -hmm. for the board or the superintendent or staff or the public even. Because mm -hmm. like, frequently people are like, where, do the pub where does the public fit in all this? Mm -hmm. And policy governance fixed all that. And then we ended up voting in over 40 policies hmm. to define those lanes. So I think we're in a much better shape now. So what you're saying is like policy governance is really strictly about like defining the roles, defining the lanes of the individual like entities or decision-making bodies throughout the district. Yeah. And I would add to that accountability and performance. Accountability and performance. Truly identifying what is expected of our superintendent mm -hmm. and then holding them accountable to that. Yeah. That makes sense to me. My, it actually brings me to the core of kind of what we're talking about at Ednium lately, where we've kind of identified the problem is like we don't have a shared definition of success for students or for the district, right? We see like a lot of folks operating in silos. We see, uh, I've been used, you might actually appreciate this because I've been having a hard time communicating this, this message. 
we're like, all right, look, you take a you take a chair company. The input process is the manufacturing, the materials, the stuff that they use. The output is how many chairs they build, right? The outcome would be how many chairs they actually sell, their in, the income they make off of those chairs. And when we're looking at education, we're saying, all right, the inputs, the pedagogy, the curriculum, the all the stuff that we do day to day. The output is like, I guess, the degrees, the test scores, the diplomas, things like that. But the outcome is actually whether or not that student is able to leverage those degrees for life. And the issue that we're finding is that we're not actually measuring the outcome right now, right? So everybody's arguing over the inputs, right? I'm not getting into the charter traditional debate because I don't feel like people are actually talking about that in real life. But we're not getting into, like, if that's, the input's not the thing. The output, we're like patting ourselves on the back for graduation rates, but we know that there's kids graduating and they're still struggling. And nobody is measuring how many of our DPS alumni can own a home at 25, 30, right? Like, what is our responsibility? How are we actually setting them up for this, like, new economy and new world? No one's measuring it. And so, like, my biggest question to all the school board candidates is, like, how do you define success for the district? Um, and then how do we help, like, build a, a shared understanding of that to where at least we're all working towards the same direction? You know what I mean? Right. I 100% agree with you that, that our goal and my goal is the kids leave DPS ready to conquer this world. Yeah. And I can think of two examples of our two of our ends policies. Yeah. So again, we have six of them. Our fifth our fifth ends policy is post-graduation and global citizenship. Mm-hmm. And it's not so much about improving graduation rates. It's more about leaving with a seal by literacy. Hmm. It's about knowing what path you're going to take forward in life mm. and the district supporting you in that in that journey while you're still in DPS mm-hmm. to find out do you want to go to college do you want to go to an apprenticeship program yep find helping finding what you are excited about and where you can be really successful in life regardless of what that path is and yeah that yeah. I agree the other part is our sixth sense policy is on climate action. That mm-hmm. was a student-led initiative. It took over a year to get into place. I partnered with Dr. Kiri Olson on that. Mm-hmm. And uh, Vice President Kamala Harris came to Denver mm-hmm. two, three months ago to congratulate the kids in Northfield High School on their work on that. That's dope. It, it was great. But one, the thing that I, there's really two components of that, of that climate action ends policy. It's only one sentence long. It's about making sure the district is be is more conscious around sustainability and minimizing our carbon footprint, mm-hmm. but it's also preparing kids for the green economy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I, that's probably one of the most proud things for me in my first term is there's no country, there's no district in the country yeah. that is preparing kids for the green economy like we are. Yeah. How do you, part of what we found is like, it's, I guess I've learned two things in my three years with that name. Like, one is like measurement's hard as hell, right? And I think that like, and I know, you know, there's this constant debate around test scores or no test scores or whatever the case may be. I think personally the issue with tests isn't whether or not we should have them, it's whether how they're being used. Like we're like looking at tests as if the tests are supposed to be a tool to help us learn, not necessarily like the end point, right? Um, I tell people this all the time, my my son, he was, uh, he switched. So he went from MLK to McAuliffe 
and uh, he's always prided himself on math. You know what I mean? And uh, McAuliffe was just like ahead of where they were at at DMLK, right? So he was kind of struggling. And so he was kind of, you know, self-conscious about it. And then, uh, so one night when I finally see it, I'm like, all right, cool. And we, we spend like the night working it out on the board, right? We're, we're practicing, we're practicing. He has a quiz the next day. He goes, takes the quiz. He comes home, he got to A. Cool. So I'm like, all right, well, show me. You know what I mean? So I switched up some of the numbers. I changed the formula a little bit. First of all, surprised myself because I could still do some of that math. <laughs> but uh, when he got stuck, he got frustrated with me. And he was just like, dad, like, why are we doing this? I already got the, I already got the A. And I was like, oh, I... Your problem is you think you're doing this test for the sake of doing the test. It's not to learn. You feel what I'm saying? And so, like, how do we actually measure learning? And how do we leverage, like, test message, tests to help us as a tool to get to learning? So, number one, like, measurement is hard. And then number two is, like, the implementation of policy is hard. And so when we – which goes back to measurement, like, okay, world citizen, dope. How do we measure it? And how do we know long term? You know what I mean? Is, are you all talking about that? Are y'all having that conversation? Because it'd be hard to hold a CEO accountable if we don't have actual like metrics by which we like measure them against. Yeah, we, we do actually have metrics and they'll be coming out next month. Oh, okay. So that's part of policy governance as well as we we say what, what, why, and when mm -hmm. we want something to be achieved. That's the board's role. Superintendent is responsible for defining how to yeah. achieve that. And then what we have, the next level down is we have essentially an operational plan. Mm -hmm. It's called a reasonable interpretation. Mm -hmm. It's policy governance legal. But it's essentially saying the, the superintendent says, I, here's what I think you want me to achieve. Here's how I'm going to achieve it. And here's how you're going to measure my success. So the superintendent dictates that. So the superintendent defines all of that. Uh -huh. And then we approve it. Okay. So we approve those measures every May. And this cycle repeats annually. Okay. We review our policies on an annual basis, and then we approve the metrics on an annual basis, and then we review the superintendent on, mm -hmm. on an annual basis. So that's it's very it's a very objective review process. No longer just like, do I like this superintendent? Do I not <laughs> like him? It's really based on performance. Are they yeah. delivering for the for our kids? On that, on delivering that. on the the six ends policies. And what the superintendent said that okay. they now, even though the superintendent is the one that that creates those metrics mm -hmm. or d defines them, the board it still says if we don't, if a majority of us don't think that those metrics or that interpretation is in alignment with our policy, mm -hmm. what it says to do is we need to update the policy. Hmm. So instead of telling them what to do again. We say, no, 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 you misinterpreted what we want you to achieve, so we'll change our policy at the highest level. Hmm. And then, but we end up voting on the metrics to then say, all right. Here's how we're doing it. Here's how we're doing it, and so there won't be disagreement in the future when we actually do the review. Yeah. I mean, that's very standard of any job. Yeah. Yeah. You say, your boss tells you what you want, yep. them, they want you to achieve, and then you do an evaluation, and a lot of times they do a self-evaluation as an employee. That's mm -hmm. what we do as well. Our policy requires the superintendent do a self-evaluation. And really what that, that process is is the superintendent bringing evidence to us that he achieved or they achieved mm -hmm. what we asked them to achieve. Hmm. Now, the, sorry, I know that went way off on a tangent. No, no, about no. Test yeah, scores. Yeah. You want to go back to test scores? Yeah, yeah. Or it, it, so I wanted to – we're talking about measurement of, of test scores because – 
we've got our internal assessments and then we have our standardized tests, which uh -huh. are required by state, state law. The, the standardized tests to me are really just a reflection of Denver. Hmm. And the achievement gap is really just a reflection of the inequities mm -hmm. we're seeing within the city. Yep. If we really want to close that achievement gap, we need to start addressing the things that are taking place outside of school. And there's mm -hmm. so many things that are outside the hands of DPS mm -hmm. that the city needs to step on, mm -hmm. step up for. I'll, yeah. I'll give you a perfect example. We want to we want to see test scores go up in the district. The lowest hanging fruit to me is is fixing our chronic absentee problem. How's the city do that? They need to partner with DPS to to help kids get to school. Yeah. Whether that's from a transportation perspective, whether that's a safe routes to school perspective. Yeah. I've I've seen that the recent mayor's budget is cut safe huh. routes to school budget from yeah. the city. It's like that is very like. Is there a relationship between DPS and the and the city right now? Oh, absolutely. Now there's state statutes in place that define what the DPS's role is, and, mm -hmm. and and you know we have a local control. We're a local control state, so DPS is a is a separate entity. But there's nothing stopping us from partnering. Mm -hmm. And like a perfect example is RTD. Mm -hmm. So I were for geez, early 2020 when we were talking about the mill levy, the district was talking about increasing the purchase of paper RTD tickets mm -hmm. from two million to four million. Mm -hmm. And immediately I was like, this is why are we doing this? This is mm -hmm. such an inefficient process. These tickets are most likely not getting to the kids. Mm -hmm. And if they are getting the kids, they might be in their pockets going through the wash. Hmm. So that started me a couple times. <laughs> yeah. And so we started like I, I worked with Director Kate Williams because she's the board member that in my region as well. And we encouraged uh, CEO Deborah Johnson of RTD and then Susanna Cordova. Dwight Jones and ultimately Dr. Marrero to get to work together and say, we've come up with a, a more efficient system. All of those meetings and that advocacy from the board mm -hmm. uh, ultimately made it so kids ride mm -hmm. RTD for free now. Yeah. Why don't and we know about, like, why isn't that in the public ether, you think? Oh, it is. Yeah. It's just, it's hard. It, there's so many channels. I mean, it's on Twitter. It was on the news. Yeah. DPS sends that so email. So I think better, just, better question is why, is, why is it that people, that type of stuff isn't sticking to folks as opposed to some of the other craziness that's going on? You feel what I mean? I think the the media has a big role to play in that. Mm -hmm. I I frequently... I let them give the media heads up on great things that are happening, like the climate action work we did, mm -hmm. like a minimal media mm -hmm. coverage. Hmm. The RTD work got minimal RTD coverage, but we all know what does get the coverage. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. If it bleeds, it leads. Is that exactly. What yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It, so that's that's like disappointing, but that's the reality, unfortunately. Yeah. And, I mean, that's one of the – yeah, we got a bunch to talk about. Let me be – Let's hit on that. I was I was in this uh in this meeting not too long ago and they were talking about uh like how we talk about education and being an educator um in the public, right? And they were like, Well, no wonder kids <clears throat> no wonder why kids don't want to be teachers. Everything they see on TV is like you're talking about how teachers are, you know, not respected enough, not paid enough, et cetera. And it was like this narrative 
change of like, well, would you want to invest in someone that says like this ain't working? Or would you want to invest in like all the positive things that come with a teacher and like the reality of the actual like salary? She put up something around like, yeah, a teacher can't buy a house in Denver, but so can like 80% of the jobs in Denver can't buy, you know, buy a house. Like how do we start to send out a more inspirational message? And it's something we think about with Ednium too, it's like, I'm hellbent on us not doing the whole pobrecito, poor us type of thing. It's not, oh, we had, we had it hard. It's, yo, look how much brilliance we have in our backyard and why aren't we leveraging and tapping into this? Like we should be investing in our homegrown talent. Like there is people out here that, that are doing great things. And I'm like, how do we shift the message from like the the fighting and all that stuff to look at all the look at the good things that are happening. Invest here. Here's where we do have a bright point. And here's where we're still trying to work on. We're struggling here. You know what I'm saying? But it seems like it's getting overshadowed. And I don't know how yeah. to solve that problem. Yeah. And I think there's politics and power involved with this as well. Yeah. yeah. And it goes into the how. Yeah. A lot of like Different organizations want to be directly involved with the how, mm-hmm. so that's that's that, that's what we're up against as well. Which, going back to your point around the superintendent's role and how the evaluation is set up and all that, what is the public's role in that conversation, right? Because if it's from an Adnium standpoint, we're saying, look, the graduation percentage—that's cool, fine. How many of them are going off to college? How many of them have found that trade? How many of them? know what their plan is, how many of them have been able to execute on it? Like, what is the public's role then in being able to influence that process, given the fact that, like, we are the consumer, we are the people that all y'all really work for? You feel what I'm saying? So, like, what is the public's role in that process? Is there a specified one? Yeah, in policy governance lays that out and and our policies do as well. Yeah. And I think it could be stronger. It's something that I want to work on a little bit more of defining where the public fits in. But let me start from the opposite end mm-hmm. and work up the ladder because what you have is you've got the staff. Mm-hmm. Or actually let's even go further than that. You've got the beneficiaries mm-hmm. of the district, which are their students. Yeah. They're the ones receiving the education. <laughs> the, yeah. the education. Uh then we have staff, mm-hmm. our, our teachers, all the employees within the district are then accountable to the central office and mm-hmm. the senior leadership team and ultimately the superintendent. Mm-hmm. The superintendent is our is the board's one sole employee that they review, they evaluate on an annual basis. So the superintendent is then accountable to the board. Mm-hmm. And then I frequently hear, who's the board accountable to? I hear that all the time. <laughs> it's like, well, the board's accountable to the public. Mm-hmm. And if we're not doing a, a great job, the public needs to hold us as individuals accountable as well. Mm-hmm. A lot of times we're the board gets lumped together mm-hmm. and that's how we function. But I always encourage members of the public and the community to hold us as individuals accountable because yeah. really we're, we're not, a, board members are not accountable to each other. Yeah. We're as individuals accountable to the, the, to the community. And I would take it further than voters. I would say the public because not everybody yeah. is able to vote. Yeah. And so we, we're accountable to the public. And, and I always say if one, if a board member is not doing a job or not voting in a way, or does not align with your values, be vocal, mm-hmm. be loud, push. And, and I mean, really the, the recourse, if, is, there's really only one option for of recourse on board members, and that's a recall. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And 
I mean, sometimes I wish the public wouldn't be so, so shy about recalls. Yeah. I, I know that that's an ex- expensive endeavor, but... Uh, it's not an easy one. It's not an easy one, Which but is it's why critical. we have elections every four years. We right? have election every four years. And so that's why it's so important that... And, and, and when people vote, especially now that we have policy governance in place, it's like, look at what what the values of that person is. Not so much of, oh, are they are they part of this organization or that yeah. organization? Like truly look at, will they be able to do, does that candidate reflect mm-hmm. your values and are they going to be effective at holding the superintendent, uh, superintendent okay. accountable for results for kids? Yeah. Those two things I, I think are most critical because there's, yeah, there's the values component and then the effectiveness. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Just a, a point on, kind of the process that you that you said like you want to, like guys I'm seeing a a crack in that I'll explain we vote if you're saying the the school board is accountable to the public right but the school board isn't accountable for the implementation or the how the school board writes a policy the superintendent gets to say okay here's how we're measuring this and then at the same time like they're like hey we are the one we have an issue with how this is is happening but we can't talk directly to the operator we have to talk to the school board that then it's going to change it, it creates like this uh bottleneck almost so the tangible example right and this is where like there's actually real confusion is that well from an endium standpoint we see like advocacy isn't just getting the policy passed right advocacy is making sure that the implementation is in a way that's like consistent with the ethos of the policy, similar to what y'all have to do, right? And so if we're in there and we're saying, all right, we brought in this money to the district, we're working with these teachers, we talked to all these students, we're working with all these alumni, this thing isn't being implemented, and it's it's being implemented fine right now, so by the way. Where does one then go if there's some there's a, there's a problem? You feel what I'm saying? like. If right. if the only point of recourse the public has then is a recall, which you know is not a realistic thing consistently, where that's where I think the public is having a hard time with the with this process that you're trying to set out. It's like, well, yo, it doesn't end just at the measurement. <laughs> I'm telling you, this shit don't work right here. You know what I'm saying? So how do mm-hmm. where do they insert themselves then? Yeah, in that in the policy governance structure. Yeah. So what I always say is the board is not responsible for everything, but they are accountable to the public for everything. Okay. Because it's just, there's thousands and thousands of decisions made every day, yeah. operational decisions. It's just not feasible. It's not feasible for the school board to be making operational decisions. And we're volunteers too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and well, so, any, any government, when the, when the, when the board starts making operational decisions, things break down. Yep. Like that's exactly. Yeah, that's I think wrong. like that, that clear definition of lanes yeah. and, and there's delegation involved as well. Yeah. Like we, as a board member, I have placed trust in the superintendent that they're going to hire the right people. And uh-huh. I mean, we have 13,000 employees. Yeah. Is everything going to go perfect? Absolutely no. not. Yeah. Absolutely not. And, but yeah, we're still, accountable mm-hmm. the board is still accountable to the people for mm-hmm. every decision that's made mm-hmm. underneath there and mm-hmm. the other the other part of it too is we have a finite budget mm-hmm. so we have there, there's that balancing act because we get requests all the time from parents related to expanding transportation or expanding mental health resources or i mean everything yeah 
we and that in the board doesn't get involved with the dollars and cents, hmm. which is because what we do, and this is one thing that I've, I'm very happy with the shift we've made is when you watch our budget presentations now, instead of the staff just putting a bunch of numbers out there that me don't mean anything, you'll see now they'll say, we're investing X millions of dollars towards ends policy number one, mm-hmm. this much money towards two. Mm-hmm. And so you can see if we have too many priorities, those buckets start to yeah. get more. So that's, that's the real puzzle and hmm. where I think we're ultimately accountable to the public is we have a finite number of dollars. Yeah. How, where, where do we, what are our priorities? And like safety, for example, yeah. like two, three years ago, that was not a, a big discussion post COVID yeah. it's, it's come up to the top. So we're hearing a lot more about reallocating funding to mental health resources and helping kids get back on track. Yeah. Well, that money is going to have to come from somewhere. So where, so we leave it to the superintendent and the district and the finance department to, to say, okay, the board has asked us to achieve these six things. Yeah. How do we balance a budget? And, yeah. and that's, what's, that's what's tricky about adding too many things to the plate because you're going to start thinning things out. Mm-hmm. And then we, so that, that that's the role of, really the role of the board is to define what are those priorities and making sure we don't have too many priorities to the point where Nothing's achieved because if we have 200 pri- yeah. priorities, nothing's going to happen. So then the real trick is saying, how do you, how do you as a board then ensure that they don't even have to agree with it, but at least they understand what those priorities are and why. Yeah. And what's really hard is you, luckily this board is much negative media attention. This board gets when we focus on policy, we uh-huh. get a lot of great things done. Our six sense policies have been voted on unanimously. Uh-huh. And so that shows you from a values perspective that yeah. we agree on what the priorities are in the district. There's probably some districts in suburban areas where you've, like equity. Yeah. Equity is our number one ends policy. Yeah. I bet you there's parts of Colorado that that's not even that is not even on their radar. How do you so, define equity? So we we have a policy in there, which it's so it's like two three sentences long. For me. What equity is, is making sure from a resource allocation mm-hmm. that the kids that need the most support are prioritized in particular with our funding and all of our decision making. So yeah. student, multilingual learner, student with a disability, student experiencing poverty, a student that's new to the country, yep. they're going to need as much as 3x of funding yeah. to get this the education of students that aren't experiencing all those mm-hmm. those barriers. So. That that to me is equity is making sure that we 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 the students that need the most support and the, have the most needs are front and center yeah. of the district and that's why equity is our number one ends policy. Yeah, no, that makes sense to me. That makes sense to me. I think the more and more like more and more talking to you, talking to more people, it's like I think it is saying, all right, cool. We have these policies. We have these end goals. The next step, and I'm excited to see what y'all come up with. You said next month the metrics. With the evaluation, the data will be plugged into the metrics. The data will be plugged into the metrics. I think that's where a real opportunity is. It's saying like, okay, cool, we understand and we have like a public consensus. We have like from our stakeholders, our shareholders, they're in alignment with what, how we're measuring these end statements, right? Like, Yeah. And I would say not, we've got a lot, there's some people that are very, I mean, there's people that are against our metrics. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're never going to get a universal 
Mm-hmm. I'm, my push to everybody that's running for the board is saying we can't stop the metric at whether or not a kid graduated. We can't stop the metric and how many kids got into college. We need to figure out, and I understand, and I've heard this from the district too, talking about there's so much stuff we don't control. Cool. That's not a reason not to do something. If our real goal is to make sure people are able to thrive and be able to be participants in our economy, how do we measure that? Right. And then right. and then work back from there. I think that would help change a yeah. lot of the conversation in the district. You know, I, I'm going to pull up ends five for you. Yeah. Oh, why is this? Because uh, I want I want you to. I think you'll be happy with what we what the policy says. It's very mm-hmm. to the point, and I think it's right in alignment with what you're saying. So the ends policy number five is currently written. It says graduates will be diverse. It, will be diverse, independent, lifelong learners, ready to meet the world academically and socially with the necessary skills to be able to adapt to changing demands and environments. All students will have the financial stewardship and ability to make well-informed, well-informed decisions post-graduation. I love that. Now, how do we know if it's happening? Right. That's the metrics. So now what Dr. Marrero has created, there's a, there's a whole document. Mm-hmm. So like you can see, our ENDS policy is intentionally very aspirational. Yeah. As it should be, yeah. Yeah, like because that's the what and the why. Yeah. And now Dr. Marrero comes up with the how, and there's a document. If you go onto our policy page, you'll see then what is says Mm -hmm. reasonable interpretation, and it goes into a lot of detail of what he thinks needs Mm -hmm. to happen in the district from an operational standpoint to achieve that, those two sentences or those three sentences that we we typed up. I'll put that link in the description of the Yeah, and then, yeah, and then he... There's there's metrics in there. And then but like a perfect example I don't have it in front of me is like students graduating graduating with a seal by literacy. Mm-hmm. I think that is that's a big part of becoming that is being a global citizen. Yeah. We need to figure We're, out a financial literacy. Yeah. What right. like the equivalent of that for financial literacy. You yeah. What, what is saying? that like, measurement of yeah. how do we know kids are ready yeah, have that financial stewardship? So yeah. I know there's a push for financial literacy, we, we, mm-hmm. we really get, have it covered. Mm-hmm. And that's the part where organizations like Ednium, mm-hmm. we've already prioritized that. Now mm-hmm. I think there's that partnership, which is already happening with the district of how do we actually do implement. that yeah. and implement it. Love yeah. it, love it. We got real into the weeds, but that's yeah. that's I think it's important um, for people to understand kind of like the role of the board and how that's shifting and how it's happened in the past. I agree with you on a lot of points. I think there's a lot of like, uh, okay, cool. It sounds great. Now how do we like put it into practice kind of a thing? And I think that's going to require people to start bringing, like laying bricks and bringing things to the table as opposed to just mm-hmm. being mad all day. Um, yeah. Although well, I understand why vision some people now, are mad, like, yeah, Having a vision is yeah. what matters. I mean, prior to when we didn't, it starts with the board. And if the board hasn't defined the priorities, yeah. you can imagine what the creating the district budget is incredibly yeah. hard and and people are i and i always think if i was an employee in dps i i hope they they know all the ends policies i'm, I'm not expecting it. everybody does <laughs> but i think they should like everybody should always be striving for those six ends policies yeah. that we have and that that will ensure we're moving we're rowing in the same direction yeah. instead of everybody going in 100 different directions i mean but one thing about leadership and bringing things to and like getting people to buy into your vision is having trust with the people you're trying to get to buy into your vision and like if we're being real i mean there's a breakdown of trust in all governmental agencies like across the board but like you know how do you especially like if you get reelected like how do you how do you go about 
the board rebuilding and cultivating that trust of the community at large and not into this this camp versus this camp or this thing against this thing. Like, how do you bring people, how do you plan to bring people together yep. um, for that shared vision? So Director Quattlebaum and I wrote a governance process policy. Those those are essentially the bylaws, and it's number 15. Mm-hmm. And we got it passed right about a year ago. It's still, we need, we need work. We need to get some work done on implementing it. And I'm hoping the next board mm-hmm. will, will take this on. But GP 15 is called proactive community, community engagement. Mm-hmm. And the word proactive is very key. Yeah. If you read, get big, dig into the policy, it's about the ends policies, like go proactively going out there, putting those six ends policies up mm-hmm. on the screen and Debating those. Are those the priorities? Hmm. Is this really what we want our funding, all of our energy going towards? Mm-hmm. And if it's not, let us know. Yeah. If it is, or are there tweaks there? Yep. What be and, and, and there's that balancing act too of we can't add too much. Cause if we keep if we make those ends policies super long, then yeah. we're adding things start getting spread thin. Yeah. From a budget perspective. Which it could quickly be that as you talk to the community, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so this also ties back to your previous question of like, where do the, where does the public and the community go to if they have a concern or where do they go? Mm-hmm. This to me, if we implement GP15, the next board, it should be priority number one. Hmm. And in GP15, it even says – it directs a superintendent to carve out budget mm-hmm. for ten re- town halls per year, two mm-hmm. in each region, and it's not a re- and it's not something just that board member. All seven board members are supposed to be there. Yeah, this isn't like a this is your thing. This is your thing yeah. exactly. Yeah. And and in that policy too are questions. So we've even predefined the questions that the board members are supposed to ask hmm. the community of. Of what that looks like, so I like that. I like that approach. I would just also encourage some type of like ongoing dialogue, because what happens oftentimes in those like townhomes is like someone's coming in with their axe to grind, someone's coming in that's gonna you know take up the whole space. Like how do you how do you continue? How do you have the follow up afterwards? What's the what's the continued dialogue right. that I like really refine? Well, I think the continued dialogue. So now there's town halls with staff, uh-huh. but those tend to be. So we even have another, so I, we're getting deep. So yeah, yeah. there's another policy called GP-10E. Okay. And what it tells is if a board member gets a question that's operational, mm-hmm. that the board member is required to steer that person to the per, the staff member that can support them. Yep. Because I, I think there's this misconception that of a district of 90,000 kids that that board members can that know everything is just <laughs> it's unreasonable. We, I always say we, that, yeah. we know surface level information on a lot of things, yep. but we don't have the details. But we have experts across the district that do have the details. And yep. so that GP ten E is about getting them. So what what I think if executed well with the GP uh, fifteen uh-huh. is is setting the ground rules early on with the community saying like this is about priorities. Yep. In the future of the district. Yep. If you want to talk about what's happening today, I'm going to get you in contact with the, person the district. In charge of that. Yeah, yeah. I the, these these meetings are mm-hmm. about what do we want DBS to look like in 2028? Because mm-hmm. it is it, board members. I strongly believe it, we should be looking five years in the future, more like ten years into the future. Mm-hmm. And 
if we're focused on now and being reactionary, yeah. as you pointed out, things start falling apart when boards board members are reactionary. Yeah, I strongly right. believe that, and that's all about. Uh, I mean, uh, everything falls apart whenever anybody's reactionary all the time. Right. You feel yeah. Me? Like, it's not. And it's and so that's why it's so key that we the board <laughs> understands their role and GP fifteen and the public as well uh-huh. is. GP15 is about priorities and values and vision. That And it has to start there. I think once the public is comfortable in understanding the board's role and that they've had their opportunity to hear their voice heard from a priorities perspective, mm-hmm. they, they're, everybody's... Not, everybody, they're, each person is not going to get everything they want. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't either. Yeah, There's yeah, things yeah. I advocate for. I don't get. Mm-hmm. I get I, you know, some of what I want and yeah, a yeah. lot of things I don't. And that's going to be true of, of everything. But I think knowing that they've been heard and 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 then we we on an annual basis, those those ENS policies are meant to be organic. Mm-hmm. They're not written in stone. Hmm. And they're meant to be picked apart. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think this board is is very effective is when we actually focus on values and priorities. Mm-hmm. It's we do great work, and but when we get involved, when you with do the like, work, you got to do great you do, work. Yeah. Yes, and and that's the thing, and that's the sad thing is the media doesn't pick up on that. Hmm. They don't. We do that in public. There's never meetings about oh the board discussed this priority <laughs> and this value. No, it's all about reactionary things happening yeah. within schools, and I mean that that that's too bad. And we we and I'm hoping through as time goes on and GP 15 is implemented, we'll, we'll regain that trust with the public and the public will understand where we fit into all of this and where yeah. the district fits and where they fit to. Yeah. When, when was the last time you changed your mind on some on the school board? Like what, what, what led to it? Um, mostly cause you know, a lot of, especially when we talk to alumni, like a, a sign of a good leader is them saying like, look, I got new information. I'm able to adjust. Like I'm not operating at an ego when was the last time you changed your mind about something? Oh, I have a big one. It's yeah. on school resource officers. Mm, tell me more. And in that that is a there's a connection to policy as well on that. Uh-huh. So in 2020, so that was so I've been on the board about six months at that point. Yeah. So knew we didn't have a policy framework in place yep. at that moment. And the when the George Floyd incident happened, there was a a push to remove SROs from schools. Mm-hmm. The data was overwhelmingly in support of doing something mm-hmm. because you were twice as likely to be ticketed or arrested if you were black and brown in DPS. Yep. Usually problematic. Yep. School board voted to remove the SROs. Fast forward three years, working on the policy on bringing them back, mm-hmm. what I learned over that time was we were focusing on the, the wrong thing hmm. because, and, and I've heard somebody say this and it resonated with me was if we were going to remo- remove SROs from the schools, we should have also removed the administrators from hmm. the schools that were contacting the SROs hmm. to get them involved with discipline. Hmm. And I mean, that that's a slippery slope dog. Cause I know. Like, teachers also calling those cops exactly. on and kids. And the teachers yeah. <laughs> and the teachers, anybody involved with that, that, be- that, that feeding the yeah. school to prison pipeline. Yep. So, 
the and so we're solving a symptom not the cause right yeah. and then looking back so then once we so again once we have the framework in place i have a better understanding of how to resolve this from a policy perspective so i drafted up the new what's called executive limitation 10.10 .10, mm -hmm. and there was a lot of guard policy guarders in there hmm. and and with policy governance it's key on telling the superintendent not what to do mm -hmm. or excuse yeah we don't want to be telling the superintendent what to do. Mm -hmm. We want to tell them what not to do. Hmm. So take things off the table. And that to me is true innovation. Mm -hmm. When you say, hey, there are a thousand different ways you can yeah. go about this. But we're, there's some of these that just the ends do it's not always going. justify the means. And so we take those means off the table. Yeah. That's what we did with SROs. My my uh, program, or Alonzo, one of my team members, he he talks about it as like, a, like he had a farm. It's like you got to build the fence and then say, like, go and graze anywhere within this yes. fence. Like you're, you're building the guardrails. Same rails. idea. Yeah. And, and that to me is true innovation. We talk a lot about mm -hmm. innovation schools. That to me is innovation. And with the policy that we wrote, though, is very clear. It, it's like SROs are there for safety mm. and positive relationship building. Mm. They are not there for discipline. Mm. That's what that policy is about is you – you leave the discipline to the schools. Yeah. And when we didn't have that policy in place, there's confusion on what the role of the SRO was. Yeah. So that SRO policy was not so much like put SROs back in schools. The policy said, if you bring back SROs into schools, mm -hmm. here's what they cannot be involved with. Mm -hmm. Here's and their I, defined role. Here's their defined role. And I met with Chief Thomas and it, it, was, a, it, it was an incredible conversation. I have a ton of respect for him. But one of the things he he said that also resonated with me was, I don't want, he, he, or I'm speaking for Chief Thomas here, he's like, I want to make sure kids' only interaction with police is not negative. Hmm. And this is an opportunity to bring SROs into schools and build a positive relationships mm -hmm. with the kids. And if if they're, and if it's not safety related, mm -hmm. let's let the kid, let's let the school, the, the educators with master's degrees <laughs> in school psychology, in psychology, deal with the discipline to help the kids get back on track. Writing a ticket, yeah, it's not going to help. It's not going to correct. It's going to hurt them. It's going to make them. Yes, it's going to put them in a hole. Yeah. yeah, and so he he and you look at our data so far, huh. the tickets and arrests are frac a fraction yeah. of what they were three four years ago. So I think we have. We've we've identified the the true problem mm -hmm. because here's the thing: even when SROs were not at school, that didn't stop somebody from calling the, a, a police officer to come into school and then they write a ticket. Yeah. So the the problem was still not addressed, whether an SRO was in school or not. Yeah. No, I, that was my concern. Was like, all right, cool. Like now, now a cop's coming in, and he only has the context of I got this call. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, what 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 drove you to actually change that? Like, what what gave you that? that insight or that enlightenment that you needed to shift on your on your thought process in that way. Right. Well, there, there's another piece too. So in May of 2022, there was the incident in Norfield where a student brought a paintball gun mm -hmm. to school. And that that led to our discussion around safety. So mm -hmm. we changed ENDS policy four. Mm -hmm. It was very COVID focused. So talking mm -hmm. about shifting priorities and being organic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 2021 and part of 2022, we were focused our, like one of our big priorities is like, keep schools open. Mm -hmm. Do not fall back into remote learning because mm -hmm. we were already start, starting to see the repercussions of remote learning. Yeah. And at that point we thought, okay, co we're coming out of COVID. Data's looking positive. Let's go ahead and drop COVID yep. as one of our ends policies and completely rewrite that. 
we renamed it to safety. Hmm. So we were having these conversations in late 2022, and then, but we were already seeing a large number of weapons coming yeah. into school, they, like substantially higher than pre-2020. Yeah. So I, I was starting to have concerns of not having a deterrence in place when it comes to weapons. Yeah was a problem. So one, we made safety an ends policy. And then two, we turned around and because we had the policy in place, it was a guardrail. It said, yeah. do not have SROs in school. Yep. yep. So that there's that proscriptive guardrail. Yeah. That's one it's of like the fences. Keep, yeah. It's like keep kids safe, but you can have SROs. But we, that policy was then rewritten to say, you're allowed to have SROs. Mm-hmm. They just can't get involved with discipline. Yeah. So I think hmm. we came to a great solution in the end. Yeah. Uh, not a super interesting. I think that's like how do you, again? <laughs> how do we have that conversation more yeah. about like how this came to kind of a resolution? Because then, like that helps, right? Like that helps folks like us and like all the alumni that are involved in this to know. All right, cool. Here's how I can help with this, or here's what I should. Here's the questions I should be asking, right? Like, it is that person dealing with discipline? Is it not? Like, where is this thing actually um, in alignment with the policy and all those different things? But if we don't have a shared understanding of like what's going on or the decision that's made then yeah. everyone's just yelling and screaming and mad and ain't no one happy you know what yeah. i'm saying so um no that's that, that makes me happy so i think my last question for you we kind of hit on all these just just naturally but i guess just simply like why should you be reelected in this um pop, question mark i'll kick it right. to you yeah. i why I wanted to run for the board again is we've seen great progress mm-hmm. in setting the foundation for the district for the next five to 10 years. Mm-hmm. When I came on the board, as I mentioned, there's no bylaws. Mm-hmm. December 2020 plan expired. Mm-hmm. There was no vision. It was incredibly chaotic because then we were dealing with pandemic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it just made things 10 times worse and everybody was going in different directions. I don't feel that way anymore. Hmm. I think it is... Policy governance with a billion-dollar organization, it's going to take time. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's important to always be looking five years into the future so that we are – the board, it really starts with the board. Mm -hmm. And we've got this framework in place. I want to make sure that it stays intact. And, you know, I'll I'll advocate for certain policies, and there will be board members that will advocate for different ones. But that's the great part of this is Mm. policy governance is not meant to tie people's hands. It's a Mm. framework. Yeah. I mean, policy governance does not come with recommended policies. It just says, here's how you function. Now, you write the policies. But you that's that's the hard work. That is so fun. I've really enjoyed – once we started writing policies, I'm like, all right, now we're – now we're getting somewhere. Yep. Uh, but I, I'm running again because I, I want to make sure that we that that continues and that the policies that I've advocated for, in particular around our teachers mm-hmm. and our equity poli- ends policy, I I, I want to make sure those stay intact. There's there's more work to be done, in mm-hmm. particular around we we've we've been real focused on or the district has has been on supporting teachers and making sure we retain teachers especially our bipoc educators mm-hmm. made great progress mm-hmm. on that and but now we need to start looking at the workloads yeah of educators i think there's direct connections to declining enrollment all this all the inefficiencies we're seeing come back to declining enrollment hmm. 
Our, our expenses are staying pretty flat, but when you are funded per kid by the state, mm-hmm. we're going to lose money. Luckily, the state has been giving us more money per kid, mm-hmm. but that's still not fixing that inefficiency. If we want to get to where we need to be, we need to eliminate those inefficiencies, and especially around our underutilized buildings. Mm-hmm. That is, there's so much money of the general fund going towards non-classroom items. Really? Because we have we have underutilized buildings. We have some buildings that are like 25% capacity, 25% capacity. Yeah. And some of those expenses are the same whether the school's at 100% or 25%. And yeah. so you can imagine you have you have educators, you have support staff, you have principals that are incredibly spread thin. You got principals now having to cover recess duty. Yeah. Because yeah. they don't have that, that those that's a good example of efficiencies where a school leader is having to w- deal with things that usually are not on their plate yep. that are now on their plate. Yep. And, and that means other things. That, yeah. <clears throat> and so yeah. I, I I strongly believe we need to focus on those inefficiencies. We know what we want to achieve. Mm-hmm. Now we need to Build the operational capacity to make it happen. Yeah. And the public yeah. needs to come along with this too. I, I've been trying to educate and have conversations with the public of s- school consolidation and mergers mm-hmm. is a a good thing. Yep. If we from a resource perspective. Yes, it's it's scary to think, oh, we're closing a school. But I think done it in the right way and in partnership with community. I yeah. actually think if you read the recent policy on EL eighteen. Mm-hmm. Uh, executive limit, executive limitation eighteen. It's about school consolidation. It really takes uh, puts a lot of that decision making in the neighbors hmm. neighborhood's hand of saying what Hey, you have X number of kids living in this area, but you have this number of seats. Yep. This means money is not going towards these these certain. I think programs. the problem with that is is like with the school closure situation. It's people are always. It hasn't been framed in a way of like, this is what you get as a result of this change. It's yes. always about like what I'm losing. And like, let's not get it twisted. Like they're losing something that's like precious and valuable to them. Right. Um, but again, the question is, is like, well, what is our ultimate goal here collectively? Yeah. You, yeah. you feel what I'm saying? Yeah. Our goal is to like maximize resources yeah. for these kids. Yeah. I mean, our, our, well, our real goal was to be able to give kids what they need to hit that, that global citizen policy you talked about and all the other things. Yep. And therefore, this is the means by which we have to get there. But if we're not all aligned on what the larger vision is, yeah, then all of these conversations exactly. break down. And I think that's really what we're looking for is saying, like, you know, we've gone on this year-long, year-and-a-half-long um, research, kind of like outreach thing, asking people how they define success. And everybody we talk to, um, there's five things that we hear. Now, they may prioritize them different. They might have different thresholds, and they evolve over time, right? They switch as you get older. Financial security, physical and mental health, quality relationships, professionally, personally, a sense of self, um, and a sense of purpose. Can I give something, right? Like, those are five things that I think you would be happy if your children had. I'm happy if my children have it. How are we leading towards that goal? You feel what I'm saying? And not getting lost in the sauce of... I keep saying we keep arguing over uh, what vehicle we're going to drive, and none of us have a shared understanding of like where we're actually where trying we're to go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like, but I think we know now. We know where we're going. Yeah. And then it's we need to we we need to 
it's going to take time to build that vehicle. Yeah. And, but it's, it's getting built now. I, I would say when I came on the board, mm-hmm. yeah, we, we didn't know where we we're going. There was no yeah. vehicle. There's nothing. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like we, we know where we're going now yeah. and that may change, you know, when new board members come on, mm-hmm. like that, that where we're going may change a little bit, but that's mm-hmm. good. At least we're going somewhere. We know where we're going and that's going to evolve. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And so now, and that, but and, and that's great. That's yeah. the whole point. Is like, all right, we're instead of going here, we're going to go over here now. But that's yeah. that's the point of policy governance. Yeah, we have real conversations. Yeah. I lied to you. One more question: What's what's something that you feel people need to know about you that is either a misconception or they might just not know right now? Good question. Something that to know about me is. I, I feel like I have grown tremendously as a board member. I'm a very, I look back to who I was in 2020 mm-hmm. and I'm not real excited about my first year on the board. Hmm. And, and, and I, I recognized that hmm. in, in my first year and did a lot of self-reflection and thought what, and this is the entrepreneur side of me is like, what is not, something's not right here. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I'm not happy with my own performance. And so sat back, reflected, tried to figure out what I wanted to get out of the rest of my first term. Mm-hmm. And really that came down to getting the board as a whole on the right track. I don't mm-hmm. think all seven all seven board members were not doing a great job hmm. in 2020. Hmm. I mean, granted, we were also dealing with COVID, so I think we should be given a little bit of grace. Mm-hmm. But, I, I mean, you don't know what you don't know. Hmm. And I, I think that's where I was feeling at the end of my first year on the board of what am I missing here? Something is not right. Mm-hmm. And instead of just continuing down the wrong path, I, mm-hmm. I, I, I really I stepped back and – you know, I take accountability for kind of my probably you could say it's like poor decisions in my first year. Mm-hmm. But I think we were all making decisions. And I think that goes back to not nobody knew what their lane was. Public yeah. didn't know, the board didn't know, superintendent didn't know. And so we, we lost yeah. a little bit of time there. So yeah. I, I don't think that runway was set yep. for for me as a new board member from previous boards. Yep. And if anything, if I'm on the board come December or not, mm-hmm. I'll make sure that, you know, Kimberly Sia, if, if Kimberly is, ends up mm-hmm. getting elected, she's, I'm going to make sure she is set up for success from yeah. day one because that runway is set for her. Yeah. And I'm excited. I, I'm, yeah. I'm proud of that regardless of the outcome of this election because yeah. I think the board and board members are, are going to be set up for success, yeah. which ultimately means the district's going to be I appreciate that, he- headed in the right direction. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for coming on, man. I think this uh, this is going to help a lot of folks and kind of understanding, like, this is an educational thing, too, yeah. man. Yeah, so um, I appreciate you coming through. Good luck. Um, appreciate and, it. You know, we're doing this with as many of the board candidates that are willing to talk to us. We've sent out the invite to everybody. Um, the disclaimer is we're not endorsing. We just really want to be able to have real, honest, authentic conversation. Um, and I appreciate you coming through, man. Peace. Thanks.